We talked last night about the power of a simple letter in the Hebrew alphabet, the first letter, the Aleph. There is a tradition that says that the Aleph is so ineffable, the Aleph, the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, so sublime, so uh, luminescent, that, that the Torah that we have right here, our people's compendium of wisdom, that which has carried us more than we have carried it throughout the generations, the Aleph was so lofty and so profound that God decided not to begin this most holy of works with it, with an Aleph, which perhaps would have been logical. Begin the first word of the first book of the most important text from the beginning. But instead, we know that it begins with a B, with a Bet, Bereshit, in the beginning which has given rise to many interpretations. The world, as we look at it, is a world of twos, at least, and from the two, the many. What began with two is the multiplicity and the plurality, the plerima of the cornucopia of our senses, of our experience. And so the Aleph the rabbis say, is hidden. It's a hidden Aleph. Perhaps it's the Aleph behind all things. It's the, the depth that we perceive with two eyes, that one eye alone does not disclose. That beneath the, the experience of separation, beneath the experience of individuation, with all that is beautiful in it, there is an unlying, an underlying ground of being that holds all of us. Some call it God, some call it spirit, some call it Buddha, some call it Tao. Some call it the mystery at the heart of how this material world came to be. Atheist, agnostic, theist, whatever is your flavor, whatever it is that brings you as Einstein and Bohm and all of the great scientists arrived at the Aleph, the place beyond which Wittgenstein said we have no words, the place beyond which all we can do is stand in wonder and say, ah, Aleph. And so you might find it odd that the Aleph that should have been at the beginning of creation at the beginning of the Torah, right here, all the way scrolled back to the beginning, you'll be surprised that it appears later on in the Torah. In fact, I've always wondered why, when in ultra-Orthodox schools, when it comes time to teach children, little children, little bababas, when it comes time to teach little children the Torah, we don't teach them the stories of Breshit in those schools, in that curriculum. Might be a flaw in the curriculum, I agree, maybe. But for some reason, unbeknownst to me, they begin where we will begin today, with Vayikra, the laws of Leviticus, the arcane system of cultic worship where they would bring animals to the temple. 
where they would offer up in their technology that which was most precious to them, that which was most sublime in their lives, that which was concrete. There was a concrete culture. And what would it mean to bring something to God? It must have meant to bring an animal. That was what their technology, that was Judaism 1.0. And in these ultra-Orthodox schools, they begin at Vayikra. They start teaching them these arcane laws that even adults have a hard time with, let alone children. And I think it has to do with the little Aleph. You see, that Aleph that should have been in the beginning of the Torah makes its way right into the first word of Leviticus. Vaikra Adonai Moshe, and God called out to Moses. God called out to Moses, and at the end of that first word of the third book that deals with all of the arcane minutia of the cultic rite, there is a font error. All of, the fo- all of the letters in the Torah, everybody, are in 20-point font. Some letters in the Torah are in 72-point font. And there are some letters in the Torah that are in 6-point font. They're little, teeny, teeny letters. And they always ask us, as do the other letters that are unusually formed, they ask us to listen to a whisper. They ask us to hear a secret. As if the Torah were saying, lean in here. Lean. I have something to whisper in your ear. It's not the Aleph that would have been in the beginning of the Torah. It's not that ineffable Aleph. It's the ineffable Aleph at the end of the word, and God called out to talk about sacrifices. There's a little Rebbe who lives in my house. His name is Bear. And Bear said to me something this week when he dropped, he dropped a... His favorite cup dropped on the floor and it broke. And he came running to me and said, Abba, fix it. And then I said, Barry, I don't think I can fix it. And then he looked at me with his, you know, the lower lip? He gave me the lower lip. <laughs> and he says, I don't like it when things break. I don't like it when things break. I can feel it in my own heart as it breaks from that. My own heart breaks when he says that. I don't like it when things break. And God, in our myth, in our story, the universe is patterned after the bet. The universe is patterned after things that break into two. Our universe is patterned into a child that was once a little baby in your arms and with all of the bruises and scrapes and scratches becomes a grown woman. The universe is patterned in sequences, and all we do is run after the moments, wanting somehow to bring it back, somehow to return to a place where things are not so broken, where things are not so sawn in half, where things are whole again. And the entire book of Leviticus is a book that says, if it's broken, you can fix it. The whole book. Their technology happened to be with rams and sheep. And our technology is in the open-hearted gesture of prayer or contemplation or friendship or whatever is your sacred sanctuary, your temple, where you kneel to find your aleph, your original place. And so God took that little aleph, 
that primordial promise of possibility and placed it right at the beginning of a book whose, whose headline is, it's okay, things break and they can be fixed. Now how we do that, I'll leave that to Rebecca to teach us in a moment. <laughs> but it is our custom here at Romamu to call for the first aliyah of the seven that we will read. Uh, the first and seventh aliyah will be group aliyot, meaning that if it speaks to you, if what I'm saying or what Rebecca will say speaks to you, then you will come forward to stand at the Torah to make a blessing. And so I would like to call for the first aliyah. The reading can be found in your Eitz Chaim Chumashim on page 599. The Torah says that one of the ways things break is that we act unknowingly. Bishkaga. Bishkaga means that I made a mistake. And why does the Torah make us, why does the Torah invite us to, to bring an offering when we've made mistakes? After all, it was just a mistake. It was inadvertent. It was a shogeg. So the Torah is actually hinting at some very deep wisdom 2,000 years before Freud. Is that there are deep lessons in the mistakes that we make. That in the things that we do unintentionally, there is a way to look at how much of our life is lived unconsciously. It's true that mistakes happen. But often mistakes come from living unconsciously. Not always. Right? There are always going to be mistakes. But forgetfulness is often the root cause of some of the mistakes that we make. And so I'd like to call forward for the first aliyah in the series of seven aliyot. Those who are making, uh, in the beginning of this year, we're beginning, we're starting now with Passover, who want to bring an awareness, an awareness to some of the unconscious ways that they are living, some of the ways that you are falling asleep in your life and looking back and going, oh, you know, I can't believe that I forgot to lock the door to my house and then the burglar came in and that, you know. I can't believe I left my keys in my car again. Can't believe I left my cell phone in the cab. I did that. So waking up means trying as often as possible in our life to be really where we are. Not to be 10 years ahead and not to be 10 years hacked, but to be right here, present, awake, awake, smelling the coffee of life. That's the first aliyah this morning. If that aliyah speaks to you, then this is an aliyah for you. Please come forward for that aliyah. That wasn't too cool. 